Good morning. You probably all know the few times that I have taught, I usually begin with a question, a question that I try to answer through the teaching time. And uh, this is a question that I think a lot of you have probably had answers to as you have studied the word. But this question of what do you see when you gaze into the heavens is an important one for us today. And it's really uh, changed a lot in terms of what we can see as technology has grown, as we will see. But you really have choices as to what you see. And there's an example of a person here that I show, Carl Sagan. He was the host of a PBS program called Cosmos years ago. He's now deceased. But he's on one side of this issue, and I hope most of us are on another side, as we will see. But this quote from him is interesting. It says, the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return, and we can, because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. Well, this is kind of a real mystical view. And it's based really on his philosophy, which is totally evolutionary naturalism. Everything that we see can be explained naturally not supernaturally, the way he believes. And there are a lot of people that way right now. And the series that Kent Vincent is going to be leading that's going to start after Integrated Sunday School is really going to delve even further into this. So I really welcome you all to come to that series, which you'll learn more about, that will begin sometime around Thanksgiving. But the alternative opinion to this is, comes out of Psalm 19, when David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's what we're really going to be looking at here this morning, and we're going to really delve into it. We're going to take a tour of the universe, and we're going to talk about what we see and how that tells us things about God. And it's just amazing what we can see in today's world with today's technology, things that David was unable to see when he even wrote this. I'm going to start with Scripture then I'm going to look at some touring around the universe. Then we're going to come back to Scripture again. It really uh, was in the beginning. And on the fourth day of creation is where we have a description of what happened. Those heavens that we see, how they were created, when they were created. And it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Well, there's a lot of theories about creation, but I'm not going to go there today. That's, today is not the day for that. Today is the day to open our hearts and minds to what God is going to reveal to you by what we look at. What, do, what does it say about, what is he saying about himself? What glimpses of his splendor are being revealed when we look into the heavens? I've been working on a theory, and you may think that's crazy. Here I'm working on a theory of how to reconcile the six literal 24-hour days of creation and distant starlight reaching Earth and try to reconcile that. Someday I might have it refined enough to talk about. 
with this group. But uh, there's a lot of theories out there, and some of them, even in the creationist world, have gone maybe where I don't think they should have gone. They're trying to combine Einstein's theory of relativity with uh, things that are just so complex. But someday I may come back to that topic and talk about it with you. I'm going to try to use this instead of the computer. Going back to more, the whole passage in Psalm 19, I think it's good for us to read the whole passage, not the one verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Well, there is speech, but it's not audible speech, is what this is telling us. There is knowledge being revealed when we look up into the heavens. We learn about God. We see his attributes. There is no excuse for not believing in God when we look into the heavens. Romans 1 says the same thing. We see his power. We see his attributes. Whether we're looking in the heavens or whether we're looking at other things in creation around us, there is no excuse not to believe. Whether you live in the deepest jungle, the most remote desert, the busiest city, no matter where you may live, you are seeing attributes of God in his creation and there is no excuse to not believe in him now here's where the tour begins and you can hardly see the dots up there and it's the Big Dipper it's what you see when you look into the sky in Topeka on a good day the Big Dipper is kind of low in the sky and some days it's a lot better. If you're like me and you get up really early in the morning and you go outside for a run or a walk or whatever it may be, say 5 a.m., these fall mornings you see a lot more stars and they're better than that. So some days are better than others. But typically when you live in the city, you don't see a lot of God's glory when you look up into the heavens. And you say, is this what David was talking about? There's just not a lot to see. Now some days, like I say, are better than others. But we're going to see when you get out of the city, say up at Iliffs, where a bunch of you went just, what, week, one week ago for the Fall Fest, that how many of you stayed to be able to see stars that are looking a little bit more like this? So a little more of God's glory is being revealed when you get just 10, 15 miles out of town and the light pollution goes away. There's a cloudiness that you begin to see in a picture like this. Not just the points of light, but cloudiness. And that is a lot of distant stars in our galaxy. We're looking at the Milky Way stars. We're in a galaxy called the Milky Way. Galaxies are clutter, clusters of stars that have somehow gotten together and they move together through space. But let's take it a step further. This is a desert night sky that you might have seen, or David may have seen, when he wrote Psalms 19. This is from the Middle East. I'm sure it's an overexposure that shows that many stars, but it probably, when David looked up to the sky, he saw something similar to this. No city lights, dry conditions, probably cool desert night, and so God's glory is beginning to be revealed much more in what David saw. But David had no idea 
that every one of these points of light was actually a blazing sun, like the great light of the day that Moses talked about in Genesis 1. Now, he wrote under inspiration, and God was telling him the heavens declare the glory, and God was looking forward to what we can even see today when we look into the heaven, which is so much more than this. Now, let's take it a step further. We have technology entering into the picture. The Hubble telescope was launched in 1990, so it's been up there quite a time now, and the Hubble telescope orbits the Earth above the atmosphere, and that has opened up whole new vistas to us. We can see things today that a generation earlier had no idea really existed out there or could see it the way we can see it. This is just looking at one arm of our spiral galaxy, and you'll see a picture of that in a minute. And it's looking away from the center. It's looking where there are fewer stars. But the Hubble is starting to turn things into pictures that we had never seen before. But to give you an idea of how far things are in space, the nearest star to us is called Proxima Centauri. used to be Alpha Centauri. They found another one. And it's 4.24 light years. Now, they measure distances in space in light years because the miles are too big. And so they figured out to use a new measurement term. That's the distance light can travel in one year. And light goes very fast. Light goes 186,000 miles per second. So just imagine how far it goes in one year. And it took four years for the light from the closest star to come to the Earth. Now, this Hubble telescope, just a little bit of background for you. Um, it was named after a guy named Edwin Hubble. And the reason, this was like a century ago, that he did some things in astronomy that made him worthy of having the telescope named after him. He is the first one who showed that a lot of these little points of light that we see in space were actually galaxies or whole clusters of stars, and that the galaxies are moving far apart from each other fast high speeds. So that's why the Hubble's named after him. Little background. But let's go and take a look at a galaxy like our own. At least this is what we believe our galaxy looks like. This is actually Andromeda galaxy, but we believe the Milky Way is kind of like this, a spiral galaxy. And the size of a galaxy is beyond our comprehension. It's 120,000 light years across. And you see that big number? I have no idea what that number is in words. But it's a 7 and 17 zeros. That's how many miles across this one galaxy is. And they estimate that there are 300 billion stars in this galaxy. We cannot even comprehend how big it is. Now, what does God think about every star? Psalm 147 says, He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Nothing's by chance. This verse tells us that every star is there because God wants it there. And he's given it a name, or he at least knows about that star has its place in this time. Nothing's by chance. One more view as I go further out into space, and this was something, again, that the Hubble brought into our knowledge, and it declares even much more about God and his attributes. 
If the Hubble points, and it has the capability of doing this, points into a little bitty dark spot in space that appears to be between stars, and it just stays and looks at that for a while, it opens its lens, and it develops a picture over some period of time, this is the kind of thing that shows up in those little dark spots. Every one of these dots is another galaxy. That's amazing, because we're looking at countless galaxies in every direction. It doesn't matter what direction the Hubble telescope points, it'll show the same thing. It'll show this kind of view. This is a real picture. This is an animation. When you look out into the deepest reaches of space, this is what exists. Uncountable numbers of galaxies everywhere you look. Gives us an idea of how big the universe is and how big our God is. And we'll come back to some of these attributes. Now, how do the heavens actually declare God's glory? We looked at a few pictures, and they tell us something about his greatness. But there's much more. We're going to focus in on a few things that tell us more about the attributes of God. And here's some of the things that we can learn about God, his revealed or unveiled nature and splendor by looking at views in the heavens. We can see his power, his wisdom, his beauty, his goodness, his faithfulness, his infinite greatness. And we're going to look at each of these quickly because there are views of space that do portray these characteristics of God. First, his power. Well, stars, more than anything, display power. Every single star is a nuclear furnace. It's like thousands of nuclear hydrogen bombs going off every second. If you just can imagine the power in a star, and there are billions and billions of stars. You've got the cloud that you see up in the top left picture, which is a nebula. It's the remnant cloud of an exploding star, a supernova. You've got colliding galaxies. Can you imagine that? We've got pictures, that one up there, a real picture, again, not animation, of two galaxies kind of bumping into each other. Can you imagine the power that is happening in that kind of setting? And then you've got a black hole. Some people may say, well, black holes are just made up. Not anymore. They've proven black holes exist. And what's a black hole? It's a place where gravity is so strong, without me going into the science behind it, that light cannot even escape. Some say that the matter compresses so tightly in a black hole that one teaspoon, one teaspoon would weigh billions of tons, if you can believe that. That means there's no space between the nucleus of an atom and the electrons which is a whole lot of space. It's all compressed. This verse from Jeremiah 32, Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We definitely can see God's power, which must greatly exceed the sum total of all the universe. The creator has to be greater than what he created. His wisdom... I'm going to, there's a lot of things we could point to when we look into the heavens that relate to God's wisdom, but I'm going to focus on a couple, gravity being the main one. God created gravity when he created matter. 
We don't even know how gravity works. Scientists don't know. All they know is it happens. Masses attract each other. Gravity makes the universe work. God created gravity. He made it so that the universe would function as he wanted it to function. Without gravity, we wouldn't have round spheres. We wouldn't have planets that are round. We wouldn't have stars that are round. We wouldn't have orbiting moons, orbiting planets. We wouldn't have the moon creating tides on the earth, which it's just the right amount of pool to cause tides to go in and out and create the abundant life in the estuaries. God knew what he was doing when he made gravity. And it also makes stars work. If it wasn't for gravity, the nuclear reactions inside of stars would not work because gravity is what makes it happen. Gravity pulls the hydrogen atoms together so tightly that that's what causes them to fuse together and create the energy released at every st- in every star. There's one other thing about his wisdom that I'll mention. There's a lot more that could be said, but it relates to this, this picture down in the bottom left that shows an electromagnetic field around the Earth. And God made it so that every spinning planet that has a metallic core, like the Earth, has an electromagnetic field. And what good is that? Is, why is that wise? Well, if it wasn't for that field around the earth, harmful radiation would not be deflected and life couldn't exist on earth. So the fact that he created electromagnetic fields to go hand in hand with his sun, which provides a lot of other things that we're going to look at next, life couldn't exist because it couldn't survive with that kind of radiation hitting it. It's deflected. Oh, I'm sorry there. I want to go back to that verse. His wisdom, Proverbs 3, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. There are lots of verses that point to each of these attributes. I picked one in each case. His beauty. Well, the stars themselves are beautiful. When, when you were out at Iliff's last Saturday, you looked up and you just said, Isn't that a beautiful sight, these stars? Well, when you delve deeper into what is visible in space, we see even greater beauty in other ways, or additional beauty. And here's a few. The planets themselves are beautiful to look at. This shows Saturn and Jupiter, as you can see. All of these nebula, these clouds, these remnant clouds of explosions, they glow. Now, some of the pictures are enhanced color, of course, but they're clouds that exist are beautiful. Comets are beautiful. There are many visions from space and images that the Hubble and even some of the older telescopes have shown, or some of the spacecraft that have passed out through the solar system have shown his beauty. Psalm 27, may I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. His goodness. Well, these are looking from a little closer perspective, but it's still looking into the sky. We see the sun, and the sun, he put us exactly where we need to be with respect to the sun, the earth. There's a, there's a video and a book called The Privileged Planet that goes into this a whole lot. Maybe some of you have read that or seen it. But the earth is in exactly the right distance from the sun to make it do exactly what it needs to do. It gives us just the right temperatures, 
just the right amount of energy reaches the earth. It creates a temperature that allows us to have liquid water. If we were a little hotter, a little colder, water would be either ice or gas, and life couldn't exist. So we're right where we need to be. The sun also is the energy we, needed, need, we need for plant life to grow and survive. And uh, so the sun is an example of God's goodness coming to us, what the sun provides and where he put us. He also put us in a place in space so that we could see beyond just our sky, that we could see out into deep space like the Hubble shows. We're on the edge of a galaxy. We aren't in the middle. If we were in the middle of the galaxy with the dense stars, we would never see beyond just our own bright white sky with too many stars. So he put us on the edge because he knew that one day we would look beyond our own galaxy to learn more about him and see more of his creation. The atmosphere, too, is an example of his goodness. He gave us an atmosphere that works perfectly. It's mostly inert hydrogen, I mean, I'm sorry, inert nitrogen gas, and that's good. We don't want the atmosphere to be reactive very much. Nitrogen doesn't react with anything, and so it's just there. We breathe it. It creates what we need for air, but we have just the right amount of oxygen. If we had too much oxygen, we'd spontaneously combust. If we didn't have enough oxygen, the reactions of life could not take place. Plus, the atmosphere does other things. It blocks and burns up meteorites. It blocks other dangerous radioac—I mean, uh, radiation from the sun. It does a lot more for us, too, than just that. And Psalms 100 says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness. Well, we have rainbows when we look into the sky as a sign that God never again will send a flood to destroy the earth that followed when Noah came off the ark. He put our earth on a tilt and spins it on a tilt. And what's good about that? Well, he spins it at just the right rate, so we have a 24-hour day. If it was a longer day or a shorter day, the temperature fluctuations from light and dark would be much too great. And also we have seasons because we tilt, which is really important too. Seasons... I won't go into the details, but seasons are very important to life being sustained on earth. And again, his faithfulness shows up in the sun. We don't have to worry that it's going to burn out, it's running out of fuel. You would think if it's burning up that much per second that it wouldn't last, but it will. Estimates show that it will last for millions of years, longer than probably we are here. And the same thing, we, look in, we see consistency we see God's faithfulness show up in the consistency of the heavens. Psalm 36 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. The infinite, infinity aspects of God. The Hubble is the way that we see a glimpse of what infinity is when we look out into this deep part of space. And again, God must be bigger than what he has created. He is infinite. And we just see a glimpse of that. First Kings 8 says, The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. Now, God's, we're looking at the big stuff, revealing God's glory. And I'm not going to go into this, but I just want to say that we could do an equal study on the small things. We could be looking at the microscopic, the subatomic, DNA, cells, all of this also, we could say, points to the glory of God. 
Again, maybe a topic for another study, and I think that maybe Kent's Sunday school study is going to address this that comes up uh, starting after Thanksgiving. Now, when you look at all this stuff, this question posed by David in Psalms 8 is a natural, reasonable question. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You saw that we aren't much when it comes to the whole universe. We're a little speck. David asked this question not even knowing how big the universe was. And it's a reasonable question. It can actually lead some to despair, thinking, we're nothing. And even if God exists, we're nothing. But that isn't the correct answer. And we're going to look at why that's not the correct answer. But before we go there, just to emphasize this way of thinking, let me go backwards in space again before we really answer the question. Here again, the deep space view. We'll start there, and we'll say out of these billions of galaxies which are believed to exist, there's the Milky Way. Actually, I made that up. Uh, this is real galaxies, but I am saying we're one of them. So there's the Milky Way out of all these billions of galaxies pointing in every direction away from Earth. Let's zoom in. Okay, there's our galaxy. Well, we're just one star out of what's estimated to be 300 billion. So there we are, part of the Milky Way galaxy. Now let's zoom in there. There's the Earth, third planet from the Sun in our solar system, in the Milky Way galaxy, in the universe of billions and billions of galaxies. Wow, that just seems to maybe set you wondering like David did. God, why are you mindful of us with a universe this big? Well, I think the answer to this question is given pretty straightforward in Scripture. And it really shows up in a verse that every one of you are very familiar with. It's probably the most straightforward answer to the question. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's because he loves us. And his word tells us that. It tells us his focus is on earth. It tells us that we're created in his image and he wants to give us life through his Son. Now, Jesus came to provide a way of escape for us. And let's look a little more about what that means. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Well, what's a ransom? A ransom means that we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. We couldn't be freed without someone else paying the debt that we owed. Jesus went to the cross, and he humbled himself. He became a perfect, sufficient sacrifice for our sin. He became the unblemished lamb. Isaiah 45 says, Look unto me and be saved. 
Have you looked at Jesus on the cross? Have you seen him bleeding? Have you seen his blood shed for you? Have you looked in the way that you need to look to be saved? Have you believed? Have you trusted? That's what Isaiah is really implying here. Have you declared that Jesus is Lord with your mouth? Have you believed in your heart that he was raised from the dead? That's why he came. That's why his focus has been on earth out of this huge universe. It's why he took on flesh and walked among us and went to the cross to provide that way escape for us. Many of you may say, yes, I have. I've looked, I've believed, I've trusted in his work. And that's great. And if so, thank God for what he did and praise him. But there's probably some here who haven't, who haven't yet looked and seen him on the cross hanging there and shedding his blood for you. So if you haven't done that yet, maybe today's the day that you will look and see him in a new way, that you'll trust in his work not in your own. You'll trust in his shed blood for the remission of your sins. So when you look into the heavens and you see God's attributes being revealed, remember that his focus was still on earth regardless of how big he created it. Everything he created was for us to see. Going back to Genesis 1, It was for lights in the sky, for seasons, and now the more we look and see out there to show more about himself and reveal more of his attributes to us. So thank him for what he has done and for his focus on our tiny speck in this vast universe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the heavens and what they reveal about you. We thank you, Lord, that you've put us in this place in time where we can see so much more than what earlier generations could see about your greatness and your splendor. Lord, help us to share this with others who don't yet know you. Help us to point them to the heavens to see you and why we tell them why we see you in the heavens. If there's anybody here today that still needs to put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you that you would show them that this is truth and that they can believe in you and trust in your work on the cross. Thank you for all you give us, Lord. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.